Do you try to reduce the consequences of your loved one's choices and actions? Do you have trouble enforcing consequences on undesirable behavior by other people? Welcome to episode 245 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Donna, Debbie, Kathy, and Gabrielle. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Donna, Debbie, Kathy, and Gabriel, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Joining me is Eric. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. Welcome from uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. Beautiful, beautiful spring morning here. Yeah, we've got that going on, too. Isn't it nice? About time. (laughs) We're going to start with a reading we picked from Courage to Change, our daily reader, January 5th. Yeah, it's a good one. I was terribly confused about the meaning of compassion when I came to Al-Anon. I thought it meant making excuses for the alcoholic or covering bed checks. Alanon helped me to find another word for this behavior, enabling. I learned that when I cleaned up the consequences of alcoholic behavior, I enabled the alcoholic to continue drinking comfortably and acting out without having to pay the price. A more compassionate way to respond to those I love might be to allow them to face the consequences of their actions, even when it will cause them pain. How do I know whether a particular action is enabling? While this is not always clear, I find it helpful to look carefully at my motives. Am I trying to interfere with the natural consequences of a loved one's choices? Am I trying to do for someone what they could do for themselves? Am I doing what I think is best for me? Do I resent what I'm doing? If so, is it really a loving choice? Sometimes the most compassionate thing I can do is to let others take responsibility for their behavior. I wrote shut up right after that. <laughs> today's, rem- <laughs> today's reminder. Today I will remember that I have choices, and so does the alcoholic. I will make the best choices I can and allow others in my life to do the same without interference. And the quote from Alanon Faces Alcoholism. I must learn to give those I love the right to make their own mistakes and recognize them as theirs alone. Mm. Yeah, I wrote, I mean, all over this, I bled all over this page over the years in like four different colors. Uh, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, you know, every you time like I go reading. through it, I, well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I every time I go through this year after year after year, or if I look up a word within it, which I, it, within this is a lot. I mean, we've done episodes on motives. Resentment is in here. Enabling. Compassion is in here. Choices is in here, you know, let go and let God live and let live. I wrote outcomes. You know, there's a lot in that reading. This topic of consequences, I think, encompasses a lot of other topics. That's my, that's my feelings on it after two months of kind of, you know, opining on it. And of course, we, we always are going to start with a definition here, right? So, oh, yeah. Consequence. I think the one that is, 
most relevant here, the definition that's most relevant here is a result or effect of an action or condition. Synonyms, result, upshot, outcome, effect, repercussion, ramification, corollary, concomitant, aftermath, after effect. Lots of different ways of saying that when you do something or when you make a choice, that there are things that follow on to that, and we call those consequences, right? Yeah, and they can be good or bad. I think that the common definition for this word that I'm hearing in my shares over the last few months on the subject you know, is typically bad. Right. You know, consequences has a bad connotation. Right. That's what that's what we think of. Yeah. It can also have a good connotation. You know, when I when I do the right thing, yep. Good things. Good things tend to happen. And this is a really good one. Uh, Scrabble points twenty four. Twenty four points. Yeah. Now you drop that onto like a triple word score and boom. Nice. Wow. Q yeah. is worth ten. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, uh. I, I, I'm, I, I got a bunch of games going in Words for Friends, so I'm, I'm very aware of Q and J and X and Z. Yeah. My favorite letters to drop onto a, a multiple letter score or multiple word score. Anyway, okay, way off topic. Um, yeah. So I see sort of three ways in which we think about, talk about consequences in the program, in life. Uh, one is this thing about enabling that that the reading brought out that when consequences happen to other people and we get in the way. Okay. So that's, that's sort of one, one set of topics that, that I think we'll talk about. The other one that is, that has been really hard for me. And I think from talking to other people in program is, is hard for a lot of us is how do we set consequences when we're making boundaries? How do we, you know, say what consequences, and then how do we enforce those consequences? And that one, that one for me has always been hard. Yeah. And then you brought up this question, this thing about what are the consequences of our choices and behaviors on us? So yeah. why don't we start with the sort of the enabling consequences of, and what you wrote here, I love this, consequences of other people's behavior is not my business. You know, when I do for others what they're capable of doing for themselves. I set myself up as enabling and deny them the natural consequences, good or bad, of their actions. Yeah. Oh, wow. This one, like some of the recent suggestions for topics, is kind of, you know, I'm getting into some gray areas. And it was really interesting that searching for the word in our literature, you know, ODAD and Courage to Change, it's not listed in the index. Hmm. It is not, uh, surprisingly, but maybe not so much. But then, you know, all of the related uh, ancillary words uh, definitely are, like boundaries, um, enabling, is huge. So, you know, unfortunately, I have, and I think you do too, the ebooks of Courage to Change and How Eleanor Works. Yeah. In my men's group last night, I shared on this because I was still trying to prep for our meeting. I, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, selfishly so, but I think it's a good topic and it really spurred a lot of thought. Encouraged to change in the ebook, although it's not listed in the index, there are 14 separate references to the word. Yeah. In various pages and in all but like three months, there is a, a reading and, and some multiple times within the same month. Interesting, but um, so what was your question? <laughs> Just your your thoughts about the notion of consequences of other people's behavior are not your business. 
Right. You know, living with two teenage girls, my daughters, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's opportunity to practice this one like many, many, many times a day. Indeed. Uh, you know, I have a set of house, I, I originally called them rules, posted on my kitchen cabinet. I changed that to codes of conduct. A little less, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, codes of conduct. This is the way we, this is how we should act to cohabitate. I've learned also through other sources like Empowering Parents website or something like that, that punishment could be construed as a, a consequence. Okay. If I'm instilling punishment for you breaking one of the rules, it really seldom works. And most parenting advisory kind of websites, books really advise against it. There are other ways to deal with bad behavior other than you're grounded, taking away your cell phone. That really, I mean, it builds, what it, what that does, I've learned, it builds resentment up in the person that I'm trying to impose a punishment on. There certainly should be consequences for bad behavior. So the, then it becomes, the question is, what should those be? Should they be denial of privileges? Should they be grounding? Certainly, and in the past, and I'm sure this will ring true with a lot of us, anger was a consequence that I didn't use but came out of someone else's bad behavior. I responded with anger. I reacted with anger. That's a really bad consequence for me. Mm -hmm. it, it escalates and it you know puts resentment and with at least my alcoholic and, and my teenagers, which, I don't know, they fall somewhere in that range of bad behavior. Not, not always alcoholic, but certainly bad behavior. You know, for instance, this Empowering Parents website says, a stern lecture is a very good way to deal with bad behavior and much more effective. There has to be, for me, with a, with a child or a teen or someone that I'm living with, there needs to be a... An, some consequence. The, the 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 difficult is you know choosing what is the appropriate consequence to protect my serenity, which is what this is, program is all about. I don't want to punish. I don't want to enrage and escalate because I know with my teen, if I you know punish them for something, they usually just find a way around it. You know to avoid the punishment. The punishment doesn't have the effect it was intended for. But was that? Interesting, you know, section in, um, it's from promises.com, family and parenting healthy boundaries for addicts and alcoholics, which says determining consequences. And, you know, this is all about boundaries, what is unacceptable behavior and how to deal with it. And I'll just paraphrase, I'll read this, I guess. Now that you know what behavior is unacceptable to you, provided you do, figure out what are some reasonable consequences if these boundaries are crossed. Setting boundaries is actually the easier part. It's enforcing them that is the challenge. So many self-help articles on setting boundaries simply advise to point out to the alcoholic or addict when they have crossed the line. End of story. Truthfully, that isn't very effective. As you've no doubt already told the alcoholic a million times not to be late or not to drive drunk or whatnot. In fact, you've probably asked every which way possible in fact, becoming a nag, a boundary without a consequence is worthless. So it really comes to the question, you know, what should be an appropriate consequence? And it's not just for them. It's for me. 
so that I don't lose the serenity I've worked so hard to build up. I mean, they go on to give suggestions here, like, I love you, but I cannot be around you while you're drinking. You know, that's a boundary that has a consequence. I'll leave. So there's there's much more, but I'll, I'll stop here and let, let you think on it. I'm going to come back around to the yeah. the notion of natural consequences. Sure. That because our loved ones do something, there are consequences that they feel of that behavior. So I'm going to use an example that I've used many times before that is not about my alcoholic. It's about one of my children. When they were in high school, the first three years, I took it upon myself to make sure they were up and out the door at an appropriate time to get to school on time. Or if they were running late, I would drive them. And finally, when we got to the senior year, I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And this was me actually setting a boundary on myself to say, I'm not getting between you and the consequences of sleeping in. I'm not going to do that no matter how hard it is. And if I would get up when the kid's supposed to be at school and the kid's still asleep, it's really hard to not go and say, hey, you need to get up right now. I think I managed to do that pretty well. So we're about halfway through the school year, I think. And my kid comes to me and says, can you help me get up in the morning? I'm tired of getting detention for being late. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were suffering the natural consequence of their action of not getting up on time, not making it to school before school started. They were getting detention. And it finally got to the point where it was painful enough to them to want to change. If I was still waking them up in the morning, that would never have happened. They would never have taken responsibility for their own self getting up. And in this in this case, they said, look, I need some help. I'm like, okay, cool. You asked for help. I said, I will come and wake you up once in the morning. What time do you want me to do that? And I think the answer was like 7.15. School started at 7.40. It was about a 15-minute walk, so I guess getting up at 7.15 was enough time to get everything together and and get out the door on time most of the time. And and if I went and woke them up at 7.15 and they didn't actually get up, well, that's that's their consequence. And I felt like that was healthy on both sides, at least healthy for me. When they asked for help, I gave help, but I put boundaries on that help. I didn't say I will be responsible for getting you up. And I'm not taking that responsibility back. I'm not taking their responsibility back. I'm just providing some help. I love this Psychology Today article title about natural consequences. The subtitle says, what are they and how can I get my team to face them? And my response to that after whatever, 15 years of Al-Anon is if your teen is not feeling the natural consequences of their actions, that means you're getting in the way and you're enabling. I'm enabling. I was enabling the the consequences of not getting up on time for three years. And I finally stopped doing that. And I know you have teens in your house right now, so you probably have more examples. You think? (laughs) I think. Yeah, like every day. You mentioned the Psychology Today article, man, it's really good. 
second paragraph, it simply stated, a consequence is the result, either negative or positive, of a person's action. Consequences measure our behavior, and for the most part, we strive to achieve positive outcomes and avoid negative outcomes. Teens can certainly discern the difference between the two. So when dealing with discipline and teens, the goal of consequences is to teach your child responsibility and appropriate behavior. And this next paragraph really kind of hits it. There are two types of consequences, natural and logical. Natural consequences, the ones we are addressing now, happen as a result of behavior that are not planned or controlled. Nature, society, or other persons without parental involvement imposes natural consequences. Parents neither determine nor deliver natural consequences. Instead, you allow nature or society to impose the consequences on your child by not interfering. Logical consequences do not occur naturally as a result of behavior. They're determined and delivered by the parent. I mean, it could go on and on. You know, so this subject sort of just has blossomed into a whole subset underneath it of, you know, like we started off by saying, enabling and setting healthy boundaries and action, you know, awareness, acceptance, and action. There's lots and lots underneath this this heading. Uh, A lot of it really, really good. The prior reading I want to finish, which came from this promises.com article from some um, family and parenting addicts alcoholic website, it says, detachment with love, it talks about, said this doesn't mean you have to file for divorce next time your alcoholic wife shows up late, but it does mean you treat the alcoholic or addict with love while you step away from their toxic behavior. In this vein, some of the best consequences may involve creating distance between the alcoholic addict and yourself. For example, if a person is late, don't call and nag. Just wait 15 minutes and commence the plans without him or her. If the person is being rude or calling you names, go to a friend's house. If you discover the person has lied to you, calmly confront them about it and disengage from whatever the lie was, i.e., they lied about they spent it and how they spent the grocery money. So open a separate bank account and don't commingle funds. In time, you may find you rely on the alcoholic or addict less and less as you continue to enforce your boundaries. Separations may result. Again, these are difficult and painful. Just remember, with soft, meaningless boundaries, you only enable the unacceptable behavior of the alcoholic or addict. In other words, having strong boundaries not only is the healthiest thing for you, but it also is the best thing for the alcoholic or addict. The sooner they are forced to accept responsibility for their actions or allowed to hit rock bottom, the sooner they may be motivated to seek help and change. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, so I do have also an example on the alcoholic side, uh, which is in my experience. Obviously, before I came to Al-Anon, I was definitely had lots of enabling behavior on my alcoholic, uh, trying to get between her drinking and the consequences of her drinking so that, you know, she wouldn't feel it, right? Because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And somehow it made me feel better if, if she wasn't hurting, right? So I would do simple things like go to the store and buy more wine when she ran out in the middle of the, of the evening or make excuses to her work. Oh, she's not feeling well this morning. And I think there were more subtle things that, that are harder for me to sort of tease out that I did. And when I started coming to Al-Anon, I, I learned this concept of letting go, you know, letting go of control. 
And when I started to practice that, this is what it felt like to me, okay, that when I stopped trying to hold her up, then she sought help. That was pretty cool. <laughs> like, hey, this thing works. Yay. But it took it took her another three and a half years to come to her own bottom, I guess, if, if we if we use that term bottom, that I had to get out of the way and let her feel what her drinking was doing to her. She didn't go like too far down, but she did lose her job and eventually said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I feel like if I had not gotten out of the way, if I had not tried to to mitigate those consequences, that might not have happened. I can't take credit. Obviously it was her, it was her decision at, at her time, but it, it felt like in this case, standing there, loving her, but letting her go as far as she was going to go. And that could have been to death. And that would have been, tragic for me. I'm saying this so calmly right now. It was not so calmly while it was happening. But I knew that at that point, I had had enough experiences of, again, trying to get in the way, trying to force an outcome, trying to reduce consequences, because I was not a perfect Al-Anon for that whole time. Uh, I, I had slips, and we've talked about that. But I knew that I wasn't going to make it happen. There was that I had tried everything more than once that I knew to try and it hadn't brought her to sobriety. And so in order to protect myself, I had to stop trying because, you know, you try, you feel like, ah, it's going to work this time. And then boom, you know, what are the consequences of, of those sorts of behavior? I get blame, I get resentment, I get sadness, I get fear when I'm not acting in, in, in my interests. And that was kind of all over the place. No, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Yeah, so you wrote here, consequences of my behavior is my business. And under yeah. that, you talked about taking care of yourself. When we get into this one, I think it helps to to talk about some slogans that yeah. uh, are helpful here. It appears in two separate slogans distinctly. Odette, one day at a time. It's very pronounced. The summary of the slogans and how Alan works is really good. That whole, you know, we've done two episodes now on slogans. Mm -hmm. This chapter is nine, the Alan slogans. And it's distinctly referenced, at least in one, I actually... I feel it's appropriate for live and let live. Yeah. And and let go and let God. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm going to let go, I'm going to let go and let God determine the consequences, you know? Yeah. But in one day at a time, let me see if I can locate the actual section where it is. Oh, it's right in the first paragraph. It says there are many ways to solve a problem, approach a new undertaking, cope with a fear, and prepare for a change. Many of us have tried tackling such projects by peering into the future and trying to anticipate and resolve every glitch we think we might encounter, making decisions based on information we do not really possess, 
because the future has not yet happened. Rarely is this a satisfying approach. In most cases, we cannot anticipate every possible turn of events. So now, no matter how diligently we, we have prepared, we're eventually caught off guard. Meanwhile, we've extended so much time and energy trying to predict the future, soothe future hurts, and prevent future consequences that we have missed out on today's opportunities. And the magnitude of the task we have set for ourselves has left us drained, overwhelmed, and distraught. To me, that's about trying to predict, you know, what am I going to do if this happens? Yeah. Uh, you know, I am really coming to the opinion, listen, I mean, there's certainly many instances, especially with teens, and this would apply to alcoholics too, where if you do this, I will do that. And But you have to be willing to back it up. You know, in the beginning, I'd say, if you drink again, I'll leave you. It was not realistic because I was not yeah. going to do that. But I could now put a more gentle approach to that and said, if you drink, I will leave the house or you need to leave. And many times I did that. And that is, that's a healthier way to deal with it. Detaching from it. You know, the, the subject covers so many subtopics like detachment with love. You know, I don't need to punish. I don't need to get angry, slam doors. I mean, that was some of the consequences of my behavior with the alcoholic was abominable, <laughs> you know, yeah. Abo- you know, yeah. slamming doors and yeah. screaming and, you know, trying to fight fire with a blowtorch. You know, that was <laughs> yeah. just that, that consequence was just a bigger freaking fire. Yeah. You know, nobody won. Yeah. It was just a, a losing proposition to try to, and, and it comes down to an awareness, taking the Allen on pause and determining what is mine to do, what is mine, what is not mine, and what do, how do I feel about it, and what do I want to do about it? To to what? To protect my peace of mind. And a lot of the time is, you know, the consequence is uh, I'm going to walk away. That's a really healthy consequence. And that's probably the easiest one too. You know. Yeah. I'm not going to fight. Yeah. I'm going to walk away. I got no dog in this fight. I'm walking, I'm walking away. I'm going to let go for now. Whether I determine to do something about it in the future, take your car keys away if you took the car without permission or something happened. Or I have a, I have a good example of how someone else's behavior affected me with a negative consequence. Mm-hmm. Last, last Friday night, I'm taking both of my daughters. We're driving to Vermont from Connecticut for one thing, a little R&R to get away because my younger had a spring break the week prior and we hadn't been able to get out to do anything because I was working and my other daughter was working, but I I regarded it as a little uh, mini vacation. So we went to a nice hotel Friday night. My plan was to go to a nice hotel Friday night, halfway to Vermont, someplace called Saratoga Springs. Beautiful. But when I got in the car, the girls were just, I mean, like badgers. They were at each other's throats and arguing, screaming and it was really tough. You know, I did my best to stay within myself and say, look, guys, you know, I put my arm up a few times between them because they were getting physical. But you know, I had to drive the car, you know, <laughs> I had to stay on the road. Just tried to breathe and just say, guys, you got to let it go for now. And, and I used what tools I could, but stayed out of, you know, the mayhem for the most part. And I say, for the most part, because here comes the negative consequence. So I'm thinking, this is a three-hour drive, one hour into it, it's bedlam. And my younger is bent over in agonizing 
anxiety, tearing and crying and whimpering in the front seat for like an hour. And now we're an hour and a half to two hours into this trip. I'm like, oh, my God, I have another hour to go. So uh, without even knowing it, I start speeding up faster. I just want to freaking get to the hotel. Mm. You know, let them go to the pool. Hopefully this will diffuse. All right. So what's the natural consequence? I get pulled over for speeding. (laughs) Blue, blue, blue. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just thinking, let me just get there. I just got to get there. I got to go. Let's get there faster, faster, faster. Hello, ticket. So, uh, natural consequence for my allowing someone else's behavior to affect me, I get slapped, you know, with a speeding ticket. Bummer. And the thing is, when we got to the hotel, I put them both in their bedroom. You know, I got a nice two-bedroom place so we could separate ourselves. Yeah. I said, look, I'm going to go to the store. Can I leave you guys alone? Are you okay? And they're still, you know, kind of, you know, at I said, just go to neutral corners or something. (laughs) You know, am I okay to leave you guys? Like, yeah, yeah, Dad, we're not going to kill each other. And uh, and I came back there in the pool, and I and I hear them screaming and laughing and playing and I. You know, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I just needed to step out of the way. Yeah. So, worked yeah, out. Absolutely. And the rest of the weekend was absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm looking here. I just want to sort of step aside for a moment. And, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that consequences is not in the index of our literature. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not in the index of one day at a time. It's not in the index of courage to change. It's not in the index of hope for today. I don't think it's in the index of, I don't know. I, I, I haven't looked actually at the index of, of the hard copy of how Elanon works and take a, no, that's not it. It's Here we not are. in there. It's, it's not, not there. in there either. Okay. Nope. But referenced hundreds of times. Right. You, right. Yeah. And so then you start to look at, well, what subjects does it show up under? Right. Right. And so you you made a nice list of related topics here, one of which is control, yep. uh, which we've talked about, uh, enabling, which definitely we talked about right here, resentment, detachment, and boundaries. And so I just say to to you know to our listener if if you want to find some more readings around this topic, you know, look up control in in. I have the hard copies of One Day at a Time and Hope for Today open on my on my desk here. And in One Day at a Time, there's like 10 or a dozen references. In Hope for Today, there's even more when we talk about control or controlling. Enabling actually doesn't show up in all of the indexes. It's not a word. It's not in the index of One Day at a Time. It is this couple in Hope for Today. Resentment, I know there's, there's plenty of references about resentment yeah. Yeah. in all of the books. And we did an episode on it. We have, yeah, detachment. Oh my God, there's like 20 here in the Hope for Today index on detachment. So, you know, those are other topics you can look up when you're thinking about consequences and boundaries also, because boundaries, boundaries kind of have to come with consequences. Yeah. If you just say, I'm not going to accept this behavior, then what? Then what? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. What? When, it, when it happens again, which is pretty much guaranteed, it's going to happen, right? <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm now this time I'm really not going to yeah. accept yeah. that. Okay. Now I'm really, really, really not accepting that. Yep. I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm flashing back to driving in the car with two yeah. preteens or, or, or teens, yeah. you know, I had twins. So they were the same age and, and sort of the same behavior. And these two kids, even now they will argue about anything. 
whether they actually disagree or not. Uh, that's just their mode of, of, of talking to each other is they argue. It's a sport. It's a sport. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it used to drive us nuts in particular drove our nannies nuts because they were driving them around a lot. But I have these memories and I'm sure you do too of screaming at them. Yeah, of course. Stop. Do I have to pull the car over and get out? Right. I mean, that thing, that, that cliche that, I actually did it. I would say that. And I don't think I, I think there were a couple of times when I actually pulled over to the side of the road so I could turn around and face them and, and let them know what I felt, which of course involved yelling at them. That was one of the consequences of me not letting go of my alcoholics behavior is that I had all that anger that came out and I've talked about this before, all that anger that came out on the other people around me and, and, and in particular on my kids that I would yell at them for little shit because I was just so mad inside all the time. Um, so consequence of not taking care of myself, consequences of attempting to control and failing. But I wanted to talk about the boundaries and setting consequences and and I have some notes here. One of the most important things on the, on consequences of a boundary is I have to be willing to enforce it. Mm-hmm. And I know there are multiple places in the literature where it says something like telling somebody you're going to leave them if they drink again is generally not – you're actually not going to do it. And so if you say that, it becomes an empty threat and they don't believe it and it has no effect. Consequences should be realistic and they should relate to the behavior. If you're drinking and you're all sloppy and I don't like the way you're acting, I will leave the room. I will leave the house. That's a realistic consequence that relates to the behavior. I don't like to be around you when you're drunk. I'm going to leave. Saying to a kid, well, if you don't get your homework done, then I'm going to take away your car keys. There's not really a relationship there. The consequence doesn't relate to the behavior for me anyway. Maybe it does. Maybe maybe because they're out driving around, they're not doing the homework. I don't know what, but uh, sometimes we, we set consequences that are just arbitrary. I guess what I'm thinking there is that if it doesn't connect, it's harder for the other person to, you know, and, and this gets into controlling, right? I want my loved ones to learn to behave differently. Ooh, wow. Is that controlling? I think that's controlling. So I want to give them consequences that will help them learn to behave differently. Yeah, I think that's what that's about. Threats versus consequences. A threat is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce you if you drink again. Because maybe that's actually going to happen, but, but probably not. Or certainly not that day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a, yeah. This goes really well with the next reading I wanted to share on sure. with Bump um, uh, from Psychology Today about natural consequences. It says, many parents believe that if their child is uncomfortable or suffering the normal pains of life, they're failing as a parent. Parents ask themselves, quote, what more can I do? Instead of asking, what more can my child do? Rather than provide support for the child as he moves through his issues, the parent attempts to rush in and fix whatever is troubling him so both the parent and the child can be happy again and the parent can feel like a good parent. 
The problem is, while their efforts may provide a temporary band-aid over the child's emotions, the damaging messages their, ch- their actions send mitigate any of the discomfort their child may have to endure. Here are some messages parents give their children when they attempt to fix things for them. You are special, so normal rules don't apply to you. You are weak and incapable of dealing with this, so let me fix it for you. The next paragraph is really good, and and it's directly related to your chair a minute ago. First, we need to reframe the way our society views things like mistakes and failure. If your child chooses to not do their homework and consequently fails the exam, he must face the natural consequences of his actions, which may be frustration, shame, and fear over receiving a failing grade. If you rush in and explain to the teacher that he deserves another chance because he was sick or he had sports practice, you may think you are doing something noble by advocating for your child and giving him the opportunity to get a better grade and, in parentheses, and feel better about himself. But the truth is, there's a great benefit in letting your child feel discomfort. And discomfort can mean fear, anger, anxiety, loneliness. In other words, these are natural consequences to your child's actions. In his discomfort, you can guide him towards self-reflection about his part in the situation, his priorities in his life, and how he might want to behave differently the next time. As your child faces natural consequences, they are learning important coping skills. They build up a tolerance for discomfort, which is an important part of life. If your child doesn't learn to tolerate discomfort, he will become, at the very least, an unhappy and frustrated adult, and in the worst, a self-involved, entitled human who lacks self-awareness and empathy. Yeah, wow, you know, wow, that is, uh, puts it, puts a, puts a nail on it, right? Yeah, and that to me, actually, the whole notion of what I was just talking about, if you don't do your homework, yep. this will happen this thing turns it on its head. It's like, no, it's not my job to make my kid do their homework. Or eat or sleep or, you know, yeah. <laughs> walk, you know, yeah. you know, you don't, I'm, I'm not home all day. You're home all day. You don't take the dog out. Guess what? You're going to have poop on the floor. You have to clean that up. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And that's like, no, it's actually not my job. Right. So experience from my own life, actually, as you we were reading that, I, I was thinking about, when I was in school, I don't recall my parents ever trying to step in and intercede for me at school. And part of that is because I was a good student. But And when I got to college and I had, quote, no controls on my behavior, particularly I went to a, a small liberal arts college that really there were some rules, but we didn't feel them very much. I took a class that partly was a little bit beyond my ability. I had tested into like fourth year French on the basis of written test. And my spoken French was horrible. And this, this was, this class was like reading literature and then talking about it in French in class. And that just didn't work for me. And also was early in the morning. And so I often slept through it and I got my very first D I had never gotten a D before. I don't think I'd like hardly ever gotten a C before. And that consequence on me made me realize that staying up till three in the morning every night and trying to go to class the next morning wasn't working. And so I fixed that behavior because I didn't want to have the pain, the shame of getting a bad grade. 
that actually didn't go on my transcript because the the college had a policy of anything below a C. We just don't we don't give you any credit for that course at all. There's no record that you actually took it. There was no like long term consequence, but there was an immediate consequence, and I think that was actually more important. The the notion of this will go down on your permanent record. Well, you know what? When you're eighteen, when you're eighteen, you don't have a whole lot of concern about your permanent record, at least from my own experience. Um, <laughs> but I do have concern about what happened to me right now today. Yeah, absolutely. When I run around and pick up after my kid, which I did, one of my kids was extremely absent-minded, we'll say, spacey. Uh, We used to say that uh, this kid was living on their own planet. Particularly in, in middle school, they would leave their stuff all over the school. And every day when we went to pick them up, it was like, where's your jacket? Where's your notebook? Where's your, you know, well, and we had to like walk around. Luckily, it was a small school. Uh, and we could walk around to all the places where they had been and, and hopefully find stuff. You know, and the jackets hanging over something out on the playground and the notebooks in one of the classrooms and, and their lunch boxes in the hall somewhere. And, and we had to do this every day. So then they get to high school. And they're getting themselves there and getting themselves home. And all of a sudden, they have to be responsible for keeping track of their stuff. And you know what? Mostly they did. Okay? How much was my trying to mitigate their consequences causing them to not care about their consequences? Um, So then this kid goes off to college. And in the week before classes start, there's freshman orientation stuff and fun and games and all that, you know. We're talking to them one day, and they're like, yeah, so I guess my backpack got stolen, and it had my computer and my shoes in it, my sandals in it. And we're like, what the heck? Yeah, I just, I left it in the hall, and when I came back, it wasn't there. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, and oh, no big deal. I got, a, I got another backpack, and I'll be fine. I'm like, you know, we spent a thousand bucks on this computer and it's just stolen and you're okay with that. (laughs) And it turns, yeah, turns out somebody had picked it up and actually turned it into the lost and found and they got it back. But I'm like, haven't you learned about keeping track of your stuff? (laughs) Like not leaving it everywhere. Ah. Uh, Didn't, didn't say all that, but that was in my head, you know? And, and I think that again, that incident they learned from that incident. This kid has done a bunch of crazy things, but has hardly ever done the same crazy thing more than once. So they just have to have consequences. And if I stand between that kid and their consequences, they don't learn and they don't change. And when they feel their own consequences, they do. Boom. You know, let go and let God. I don't know. What are your thoughts about setting consequences, setting boundaries? Well, you know, when I had to deal with something recently and, you know, spoke to my sponsor numerous times and while I was spending the time talking through it, trying to reason things out with someone else, the, the thing resolved itself. <laughs> I, you know, after, after my machinations and, you know, manipulation and motivation to try to solve and make sure that this time they get it. This yeah. time I'm going to say the right words to make them understand. And, and three days of thinking about what those right words were, I came home and it was resolved. <laughs> you know, what I didn't even there know the situation. 
Yeah, the natural consequences just somehow, if I stay out of the way, the natural consequences are much more powerful than my having imposed some kind of penalty. Take away the phone, take away the keys, you're grounded, yelling, screaming. Boundaries is the first part. And yes, I mean, obviously our program speaks a lot about setting realistic and healthy boundaries and then setting realistic and healthy consequences, but not the kind of consequences that are punishing. The kind of consequences that are helpful for me are for myself. The consequences that I won't any longer enable. I won't any longer, you know, rescue. I won't any longer, you know, just in generic terms, I'm not going to throw the pillow out every time you stumble to protect you from falling. The natural consequences is you're going to bump your head. And, uh, you know, that hurts, you know. There's a, a quote from one of our prior episodes that comes to mind right now, and I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to botch it up, but it's something like maybe it was Einstein or somebody that said, you know, there's no better lesson than learning a consequence about holding a cat by a tail. The consequence is you're going to get scratched up. So don't do that anymore. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I mean, Jeez. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go to, cause I'm, I'm getting off topics and off track a little here, but I'm going to go to some quotes at this point. Is that okay? I was just going to say, you know, I think it's time for the quotes. Yeah. So these are consequence quotes from brainy quotes and right at the top in bold, right above them all is from Confucius. He's a pretty smart dude. He was. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, the guy's responsible for thousands of fortune cookies. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this says, when anger rises, think of the consequences. Mm-hmm. Again, a consequence for me is not allowing my anger to make my decisions. So I need to really think about control, you know, staying within myself, keeping my control over my emotions. And then choosing an appropriate response, be it a consequence, usually not a consequence imposed on someone, but a consequence for my behavior, which is to detach with love, to walk away, to describe my feelings, uh, say what I mean without saying it meanly. That has much more powerful effect, I have found, than you know the alternatives I used to use, screaming, yelling. So here's a couple other quotes. This one says, in this life, we have to make many choices. There's another topic we did. Mm -hmm. Some are very important choices. Some are not. Many of our choices are between good and evil. The choices we make, however, determine to a large extent our happiness and our unhappiness because we have to live with the consequences of our choices. Again, you know, my choice matters to me. Uh, whether it has the positive effect I want it to have on someone else, it's not my business. The next one says from someone named William James, acceptance of what has happened is the first step to overcoming the consequences of any misfortune. Again, right out of our program, awareness, acceptance, action. This one is from um, somebody named Swami. Wow. Swami Sivananda. I wish I had the name Swami. A mountain is composed of tiny grains of earth. The ocean is made up of tiny drops of water. Even so, life is but an endless series of little details, actions, speeches, and thoughts. And the consequences, whether good or bad, of even the least of them are far-reaching. 
what we do, how we do it, what we say, how we say it matters. And if I'm aware enough to express myself in a way that is calm, detached, loving, but with consequences, uh, then we're, you know, those, those little grains of sand add up to eventually a big, nice beach, you know. I keep adding a couple of grains of sand a day. I'm going to end up with a nice, comfortable beach. This one's from somebody named Bernie Siegel. Again, feelings. We did a whole episode on that. Feelings aroused by the touch of someone's hand, the sound of music, the smell of a flower, a beautiful sunset, a work of art, love, laughter, hope, and faith. All work on both the unconscious and the conscious aspects of the self, and they have psychological consequences as well. And those being positive consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we, we look at this word so often initially, as I did, with the negative con- connotation. But there's a very positive connotation to consequences. If I continue to do the right next thing, if I continue to use these tools, if I continue to pray and meditate, I think I continue to use the slogans and slow down and think, you know, the consequences are for serenity. The consequences are for better outcomes. The consequences are there's no longer yelling and screaming in my house. It doesn't exist. You know, it's because my behavior has changed. I believe, I hope, the family situation has improved as I apply these ideas. It has absolutely been the case for me. Yeah, we we talked at the beginning about how we often, mo- maybe most often, when we see, hear the word consequences, we think about bad outcomes and and these quotes are many of them along that line but some of them also talk about you know there can be good consequences as well um yeah i like this one here that you didn't read because it it, this one i'm about to say to me it speaks to the importance in our program of looking deeply into ourselves the inventory steps And the quote is from Margaret J. Wheatley says, without reflection, we go blindly on our way, creating more unintended consequences and failing to achieve anything useful. That's great. One of the gifts that this program has given me is to, to know myself and to give me tools to do that reflection, to, to see my motives sometimes afterwards, sometimes beforehand (laughs) and, and use those to guide me to, more desirable outcomes, more desirable consequences. Yeah, positive. Yep. So, again, music. I found a whole bunch of songs about consequences. I made a a Spotify playlist with over a dozen songs on it, I think. And we picked a few. You had suggested a couple of songs, uh, one of which this song by Ringo Starr, the No No song. Ringo sings this with more than a hint of irony, as he was far from sober at the time. In interviews, he would cheekily refer to it as the an anti-drug song, which it is, as the singer describes the consequences, uh, look at that, of his addictions, waking up on the floor. Ringo was not interested in giving up his habit at the time, but in 88, he entered rehab with his wife and describes his years of addiction as being a very lonely time. The the song sets up situations where he's he's offered some kind of drug and then and, and he says and I said, No, 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 I don't smoke it no more. He's offered marijuana in this case. I'm tired of waking up on the floor. 
no thank you please, it only makes me sneeze, then it makes it hard to find the door. And so every verse then has this this chorus, which varies a little bit depending on the substance, like, you know, cocaine, no, 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 I don't sniff it no more. But the rest of it's the same. And he's like, yeah, I always have this consequence. And so this is a recognition of the consequences. Apparently it took him a while longer to actually act on that recognition, but it it, it really is a song about consequences. Yeah, this, <laughs> you know, he obviously did not have much uh, program for his addiction because he was constantly, you know, it appears, I guess, as a chronic, you know, a perpetual relapser and tempted, obviously, by that disease of his. And it says this next one, a man that I know just, I, I, now I'm listening, when I listen to the song, it's actually a really popular song. I remember it. Yeah. But I never, I never looked into it to read really what it meant. Really, really poppy and happy sounding, you know? Yeah, a man that I know just came from Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, no. He smiled because I did not understand. Then he held out some moonshine whiskey. Oh, oh. He said it was the best in the land. And then in parentheses, and he wasn't joking. I <laughs> said, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Obviously, he then drank it because hey, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tired of waking up on the floor. Eventually, you get eventually, tired enough, and, and you change. Uh, his eventual consequence was that he had to change. Yeah. Yeah. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. I'll go ahead, because I had some thoughts about this to start. I went to a different meeting this week that I don't usually go to. It used to be my home group, and then my, my schedule changed, and I wasn't able to, to go to it regularly. And eventually I stopped going to it because when you don't, go to, when you don't do something regularly, then, then, then for me at least it falls away. But I, uh, I thought that a friend of mine was doing the lead at the meeting that night, and it turned out I had the wrong day, but I was there. And apparently I was supposed to be there for a couple of reasons. First, this meeting does anniversary tokens, birthday tokens, whatever you want to call them, recognizing anniversaries. And for me, for me, my anniversary is the day I first came to Elena because that was the day that I went to my knees realizing that I couldn't do it and that I needed help. Another friend of mine in the program, also her anniversary day is, is a few days off of mine. And she dates that as, again, the day that she surrendered, the day that that she was started coming to Al-Anon for herself. She had been coming to Al-Anon for a while for somebody else. But that day she came to Al-Anon for herself. And so we both, you know, raised our hands. I said, I got 16 years. She said, I got 28 years. Um, there were a couple other people, um, including one of the people that's in my, uh, my AWOL group, two people that are in my AWOL group, both uh, have a year. And it's a recognition of progress. Um, you know, this, this is a big meeting, and it recognizes progress, and so I have a token with 16 on it, XVI. But the the real reason why I was there, I think, why my higher power brought me there, is that the person who gave the lead talked about what she called a tsunami in her life, that one of her loved ones had had gone into a crisis, and she had stepped in to support. And this is one of the people in her life that, brought her to the program in the first place through their action. So it was difficult for her to, you know, sort of figure out how to step in without enabling, right? 
but that that this person really needed really needed support that they were they were in a place where they could not do life for themselves and it took me back to 7 years earlier and almost i think almost exactly 7 years earlier where i had been sitting in that meeting sobbing because my kid was in a psych ward in Arizona as a consequence of their choices and actions I was going to fly down to to Arizona the next day to receive them out of the hospital because the hospital said we're not letting them out because they have no place to go. They'd been suspended from school so they couldn't go back to their dorm. And and my lament in the meeting at that time was I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm going down there but I don't know what to do. And and when I found out when I got there and started doing First thing, drive to the hospital, get the kid out, argue with the hospital about whether my insurance required a $1,000 copay, which it didn't. And luckily I had had some warning of that ahead of time and I was able to talk to to the insurance company and, and get confirmation from them that this particular hospital was in network and therefore there was no copay. Received my kid. And what I did was I gave him a place to live. We had a hotel room. I provided food and I provided transportation because they, they, they had no transportation. They had no place to live. They had no place to eat. While my kid dealt with the consequences of their actions, dealt with getting unsuspended, dealt with the restraining order that their ex took out a no contact restraining order. Because of that, they had to move out of the dorm. So they had to find a new place to live. All this within the space of a week. They did those things. And I will admit that over the weekend, I tried to pick up control again. I, I had a little slip. Um, I called the, the counselor at the college and said, hey, we haven't heard from you. We were supposed to hear from you on Friday. What the hell's going on? Let me know. And that person had the wisdom to ignore my call. <laughs> you know. So I did for my child the things that my child could not do for themselves and they dealt with the consequences. And I, and when I, at the end of the week, I felt, wow, like this was so much program. This was, I had learned so much about how to not enable, how to not get in the way. And, and I felt like, you know, my higher power put me there to hear that share to bring back that powerful feeling that I had had uh, and maybe to share that with somebody else who might be in a, in a similar place or going into a similar place. And I finished my share with, you know, these tsunamis come and they feel insurmountable. They feel overwhelming, but we're here for you because you were here for me when I needed you. So that was, that was just like out of a mistake. One of the, one of the, you know, highlights of my week, I guess, and especially in terms of recovery. And uh, I'm trying to think about the rest of the week. Saturday morning meeting, I sat at the concept table. We, in April, we talked about concept four, which is the one about Al-Anon groups are autonomous, except when they might do something that affects Al-Anon or AA as a whole. And reflecting that into also my personal life, that I'm autonomous, as as the saying goes, you know, my right to swing my fist ends where your face begins, that 
I can do things the way I want to do them as, as long as they don't have an effect on the people around me, then that, then they have a stake in that. They have a say in that. And, and I thought about, there's this great little quote in the book about a mother saying to her child, you know, you can do in your room what you want, but if you decide to collect apple cores, then those will attract insects and those insects will come out of the house and affect the rest of us. So you can't do that. And I thought about my kids when they were teenagers, I keep coming back to teenage kids this episode. When they were teenagers, they had learned to do their own laundry, and so we had you know, said, your laundry is your responsibility. And that was that was a cool boundary to be able to set. Like, I'm not doing your laundry for you. Every now and then, a whole household would declare laundry bankruptcy and, and take piles and piles and piles of clothes to the laundromat and use, the, like, the 4X washers and stuff. But mostly they were responsible for, for their own clothes. And what that meant was that for both of them, uh, their rooms were kind of ankle deep in dirty clothes. And that didn't come out into the rest of the house. It, it And it never got to the point where like, you know, it was really stinky or something. Cause then it would have been, okay, we got to do something about this. You need to do something about this. My choice was I didn't come very far into their room because <laughs> I didn't want to wade through these dirty clothes. Again, consequences, right? Oof. It's it's been that thing. So yeah, that's uh, some highlights of my week. How about you? So this week I'm just recollecting I mean, Tuesday uh, I did my typical music meditation meeting at the local hospital. There's a a doctor of music therapy, a friend of mine who runs a music meditation. I did that on Tuesday. Thursday I led my home group and Surprise, surprise, I led on consequences. Even though we hadn't scheduled this. this uh... No, I was prepping without knowing it. And uh, Friday, uh, I led there too. I, uh, I guess um, I'd signed up to lead the fourth step blueprint for progress meeting, which I started with three or four other folks about five years ago, four or five years ago. We go through the book and we take uh, each uh, chapter and do it twice, two weeks in a row. Unbeknownst to us at the time when we decided that four years ago, it works out to be almost exactly a year. I think there's there's 26 chapters or something. Yeah, yeah. Friday, we've been circulating a flyer at the other meetings that the, you know, the book will be starting over. And we had, you know, all of a sudden we have, uh, what was a meeting of three to four people is now 12 or 13. So that's nice. Yeah. Really good outreach. And, and I led that starting over on that book. And then Saturday, uh, my men's group last night. Guess what I led on there? Consequences. Yep. Uh, (laughs) one. (laughs) <laughs> just so you know yeah astonishing uh i chose that subject again and got some great feedback and you know others in the room were likewise very surprised um that to not that they hadn't heard a share on this uh lead on the subject and and likewise didn't see it in any of the indexes but i think it was really helpful and people got a lot out of it and that's that was kind of my week i also had a, a great week in business Uh, for my business. And I just, you know, believe that the consequences of me continuing to do the right next thing and, you know, be thorough in what I do, be thoughtful in what I do, take care in what I do, go the extra mile is resulting in my, what it appears to. And and midday on Saturday, I had to present to a condo association that has five buildings with 190 residents, a plan for renovating the lobbies of their buildings. 
which is not a small job with all new fire alarm and uh, smoke alarm devices, fire safety, as well as uh, security and entrance access and new front doors, sliding doors and outdoor new handicap ramps and heating the ramps so the snow doesn't accumulate and salt doesn't need it. We're putting heat underneath all these outdoor entryways. And um, it went exceptionally well. And uh, that appears that if that gets signed up, which it looks like it will this week, one of the next things and results and consequences of my working diligently and smartly and uh, trying to help solve problems is resulting in relief financially for me, which looks like it's eminent. And that's been a long time coming. So really good outcome and consequence for continuing to do the right next thing. You know, so it was a good week. Yeah. When you were talking about work, it made me remember, as I've said, we're, we're moving into a big project uh, in my team at work. And when we did a really rough estimation of, of how much effort this project was going to entail, the estimate of completion date is, is way past our target date. And there's a lot of anxiety in the group about that and anxiety in my boss and so on about it as well. Like, uh, really? Um, how are you guys going to do that? So we spent some time this week working on making a more careful estimate so that we can see whether we're our, was our original estimate just way inflated um, because we had maybe counted the same work in multiple different categories. And it's looking like we are going to reduce the the total estimate, hopefully realistically. It looks like it will make it easier to, to reach our target date. But it was really interesting just sort of watching the different emotional responses of, of people. You know, my feeling was we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to make it or we're not going to make it. We're going to do our best. There are There are things we can do to make it more likely that we will we will get to the target in terms of as we say reducing scope like what is the what are what are the things we absolutely have to do what are the things that are nice to do what are the things that we really don't have to do that might have been included in that estimate at the beginning and figuring out ways to work more effectively we do this continual improvement thing where every week actually we sort of stop and take inventory of the past week and say What's working well? What do we want to keep on doing? What do we want to try to change? What do we want to start doing that might help us work better? And that's been very effective for us. It's amazing. Like you can continue to improve. You, it, you never get to a point where you're like, yeah, we're doing everything we can do. We're doing it perfectly and, and we don't have to change anything. Um, <laughs> but other people like very anxious about this thing. Like, what are we going to do? My feeling is, okay. What are we going to do? And their feeling is, what are we going to do? And to me, I, I, I feel that a lot of that difference is the program that I have. Anyway, so looking forward for the podcast, uh, we're still talking about parenting episodes. Um, Eric, I think I would like to, to sit with you and do a parenting children um, yeah. episode at some point. Um, and I know we have definitely have some input from other people. It's sitting in my inbox. I'm like, is this feedback? Oh no, this is about parenting. This is about parenting children. This is about just parenting in general. Uh, and so we want to do that. 
Yeah, I, ha- I have to credit a, a girl in, in my group, Mario, that came up with this topic where years ago when we were doing a workshop in our district, we came up with the idea of doing a roundtable workshop, circulated a flyer asking, you know, to pick from these maybe, you know, 20, 20 topic ideas for what would be eventually five roundtables. And what wasn't on the list was parenting. And she hand-wrote it on the list, mm. and it overwhelmingly got voted in as one of the roundtable workshops. So that that went back. And I know when I first suggested this as a topic to you, maybe a year ago, you know, it was like, hmm, let's say, okay, let's talk about it. But, I mean, wow. I mean, the response, I think, has been pretty overwhelming. I think you've done at least one, maybe two so We've far. done a couple already, yep. Um, yeah. And, and the one that I did a couple of weeks ago with Megan, really, was, was a parenting episode. It was about, you know, how do we, as the as the sober parent, talk to our children about what's yeah. going on. Huge. About alcoholism and recovery. and Especially with young children. Yeah, especially with young children. That was the focus of, of that yeah. conversation. So we're going to have some more conversations about that. And if you want to contribute, you can call, you can leave, uh, you can send an email. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of consequences or any of our upcoming topics. Uh, if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. The website, which is therecovery.show, has has all the information about the podcast, including notes for each episode. We talked about a bunch of different online articles. We read from some of them. I will have links to those and also links to the music that we talk about. Speaking of music, second song that uh, we picked here is from TLC called Waterfalls. And this was, uh, I think this was a pretty popular song a few years ago. I remember hearing it. It sounded familiar when I came back to it. And it's, it's about, it's about people making choices that have consequences really. Uh, and the, the theme of waterfall or water, I think it's waterfall actually is the name of the song. The, the chorus, it's about chasing waterfalls, which is sort of like reaching beyond your, your grasp, I guess. Um, so the chorus, don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. I know that you're going to have it your way or nothing at all, but I think you're moving too fast. And that's the, this feeling of, I want to protect you. I want to protect you from the consequences of your actions. And maybe the kid really needs, uh, in this case, I think it was mother, a mother gazing out her window, staring at a son that she just can't touch. If at any time he's in a jam, she'll be by his side. But he doesn't realize he hurts her so much. And so she's trying to protect him from the consequences of his actions. She doesn't want him going over that waterfall. Maybe that's what he needs to do. And yeah, that's, that's what I take from this song. All right, a little bit of feedback this week. Do you have uh, the first email handy? Hi there, Spencer. Grateful member of Al-Anon here, Cheryl G. 
and grateful human to you for a service of giving the world the Recovery Show podcast. Been listening for about one and a half years, spreading the news and link to the show throughout my Al-Anon community here in Maryland. Speaking of Maryland, I wanted to see if you will be heading this way for the Al-Anon International Convention this summer, July 6th through 8th here at Baltimore. The AFG groups all over Maryland are excited to welcome the whole world to our beautiful state. And I had to write back to Cheryl and say, unfortunately, I will not be able to be, I would love to be there. I really would love to be there. And she had, and, and the, the letter she sent me was longer and said, Hey, maybe we could like record a podcast episode here. And I was like, Oh, that would be so awesome. But I'm having surgery on June 26th and I really won't be able to travel. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of consequences. Mm. This is addressing what I believe is a consequence of an action that I did like 35 years ago, a skiing accident. And the consequence of addressing that consequence finally is that I won't be able to go to the convention and just that would be an awesome opportunity. I would love to go there. If you are not aware that this convention is happening. This the Al-Anon International Convention, I think, is every ten years. Oh wow! So this really is a unique opportunity to be able to to be with huge crowd of Al-Anon members. I have friends who are going, and I think I will have to live the conference vicariously through them. Ask them when they get back to maybe I'll give them a give them a recorder and ask them to record stuff while they're there. Oh. You know, for 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 somebody to sort of record their reactions their oh, thoughts okay. you know right. do sort of an audio journal oh, I, nice. i'm going to ask them if they'd be willing to do that because that would be cool i've got a little portable recorder they could take with them oh they could just record it in their phone i think they could do that too pat left a, a voicemail in response to a couple of recent episodes hey spencer this is pat from the west coast when i heard diane a couple weeks ago really struck me and I meant to call in then and then you did the last week's episode and I was super appreciative of it. I think you touched on this already. I made some notes. But, you know, Diane's really already ahead of the game. I mean, she's already moving towards improving her reactivism um, just because she's aware of it. She's, she's already doing those three A's herself, becoming aware of what her her behaviors are that aren't what she wants them to be and isn't the person that she wants to be and that interfere with her serenity. And I found that working the whole step program, step four in particular, not around the specifics of reacting so much as really looking at who I was and being able to dig deeper with my sponsor about why I was reacting for me personally was a lot about low self-esteem and reacting was this defensive posture in response to perceived judgment. I think I've mentioned that a number of times in the past on the podcast. But once I was able to understand the dynamics and the whys, I was able to become a lot more effective in changing my behavior in the moment. And then the other thing is in terms of tools, the first tool that I ever used in trying not to react was the simplest prayer of all, and it was just God. I would be so upset and, and so emotional, I couldn't pull anything out. But if I could just close my eyes or think, God, well, the other person was busy reacting back to my reaction, that was a starting point for me. So just the very simplest of prayers, just God, was super helpful for me to start 
breaking that cycle of, of reacting, and it helps me move towards pause. The other thing that I found as I worked my program is that I had an expectation that everything had to be fixed right now. I remember with people that I particularly cared about, I felt like if, if the conflict was not fixed right now, they would hate me. They would be angry with me. They would, they would, you know, that this would be a permanent situation. And coming to understand that conflict is okay, and not only that, but that I can walk away from a situation where this person isn't even necessarily happy or satisfied with me or what I've said or my choices was extremely powerful. I was able to really let go of things because I didn't feel like I had to push, push, push until it was resolved. Then the last thing is just doing a step four on individual events. So when I do find myself behaving in a way that I don't like, I find myself having been reactive, giving myself a little time, and then actually sitting down and doing a step four a couple days after really helps me put it in perspective. And sometimes I discover that, hey, that wasn't really all my fault, and I can be gentle with myself. And it helps me really hone in on what is my fault and what is my responsibility, and then furthermore decide whether I need to make any kind of amends directly, which I've done on occasion, or whether it just becomes more growth and and continuing with uh, living amends. So that's it, and and thanks again, Spencer, for your service, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, thanks, Pat, for uh, for your contribution. It's uh, there's some good stuff in there. Okay, Denise left us an email. Thank you for creating this podcast. You have saved me. I listen to the podcast when I'm uneasy at home, after I receive an unnerving call from family, doing dishes, exercising, and when I feel my serenity in jeopardy. I can listen for hours on end and know I'm coming back to center as I listen to people that understand me. The tremendous comfort I find in a meeting is the same when I listen to you and all your guests. The honesty and authenticity is refreshing. I love hearing that I'm not alone. Thank you, Denise. And and thank you, Denise, for, for writing, for letting us know that, that what we do here makes a difference. A, a friend of mine sent me a text yesterday as a friend who's who's in a crisis right now saying, can you recommend some podcast episodes? <laughs> Oh. So I, I sent a couple of links and then <laughs> another text came back and said, do you have any about this other topic, this topic in particular? And I was like, yes, here's a couple on that topic. And apparently they had also uh, contacted a, a, another friend who had suggested some other episodes. And, and so they were spending the, ap- the afternoon listening to the podcast to to some extent, I think distract them from, from what was going on where they were basically powerless over other people's, another person's choices, but, and, and didn't want to be powerless over it. Mm. Podcast, uh, we call the podcast binging. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. apparently that was yeah. happening. Yeah. And this is a person who's like, this podcast is like totally new to me. I don't know this podcast thing, but this is what I apparently is helping. So it's good. Yeah doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Donna, Debbie, Kathy, and Gabriel did. And thank you again for those contributions. We also have a list of recovery-related books, 
Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends like Cheryl did. She's talking it up all all around her Al-Anon community. That is the way that we that a lot of people find us is they heard about us from a friend. So please share it with your friends, not in a meeting. We're not conference approved, but after the meeting, before the meeting, when you're having coffee, spread the word that that really is very helpful to us or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the final song selection for this episode is another one you suggested, Eric. It's the title is consequences and the artist is Camellia Cabello or Cabello. I'm not sure. Cabello. Cabello. Okay. Camellia Cabello. Yeah, I don't really know the song, but I love the lyrics, and it's actually a really nice song to listen to. It starts by saying, Dirty tissues, trust issues, glasses on the sink, they didn't fix you. Lonely pillows in a stranger's bed, little voices in my head. Secret keeping, stop the bleeding. Lost a little weight because I wasn't eating. All the souls that I can't listen to, to tell the truth. And the chorus repeats over and over. Loving you was young and wild and free. Loving you was cool and hot and sweet. Loving you was sunshine, safe and sound, a steady place to let down my defenses. But loving you had consequences. Yeah. Sounds about relapse, it sounds like to me. (laughs) Could be. Could be. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing day, if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.